Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 288. So I apologize for not having an intro this week. I am far, far from home and um, we will, uh, uh, I got to still got the internet fixed out here. So <laughs> um, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, I'm your host, Steve from Poem Phonics. Um, today we have uh, Danielle from Aquilatas. Thanks a lot for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. There's a lot of really amazing research and uh, and uh, a key key member of a very awesome aquaponic co cannabis company up in Canada called Aquilitas. We're excited to have her on the show tonight. Um, we also have Marty Waddell joining us. Hey, what's up, everybody? And we got Wes Engine. What's up, Wes? Big up, Bowden. Big up, Marty. Big up, uh, Mattel. I don't know if I said that right. I'm sorry. Uh, but oh, go ahead, please. Danielle, it's just Danielle, Danielle. Okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. Uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me tonight, and uh, look forward to hearing, hearing lots and learning lots from our guests. Uh, excited. Um, I'm having some uh, internet issues out here, so I won't share the link or I won't share the picture. But um, uh, if you guys are looking to learn more about aquaponic cannabis and you want to take a, a full length course, please check out the course that Marty and I took uh, a lot of time to put together over at apmjclass.com if you're looking for a top to bottom aquaponic cannabis education session. Uh, all right. Um, uh, thanks a lot, Danielle, for joining us. Uh, um, tell us a little about yourself and a little bit about Aquilitas. Uh, you do a, a ton of amazing research. Uh, I know you're going to be unveiling some really cool new stuff uh, a little bit later here in the year. Uh, some awesome resources for people that are interested in uh, aquatic microbes and aquaponics and uh, everything in that realm, uh, like literally everything in that realm, which is pretty amazing okay. uh, that you put this huge database together. Uh, and then a, a whole bunch of awesome research comparing aquaponics and living soil and um, combining those two methodologies and showing how, you know, the difference that those aquatic microbes can really uh, um, have on the soil structure and, and plant production and yields and all the rest of the important metrics that we're reading for, for cannabis production. So uh, thanks a lot for joining us and um, uh, please tell us about yourself and, uh, and what you got going on. Sure. Uh, so my name is Danielle Maitland and I am the aquaponics development supervisor at Aqualitas Inc. Uh, we're a licensed producer uh, that grows using uh, koi and uh, aquaponics water combined with uh, a living soil. Um, we're located in uh, Brooklyn, Nova Scotia. So the South shore of uh, Nova Scotia, right on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and we've, well, I've been working with them since 2018. Uh, I came on a couple months before we got our fish. Uh, and we are uh, certified through Clean Green uh, as uh, for organic cultivation. And we try really hard to uh, to to embrace sustainability, kind of in throughout our whole uh, production system. We have a, um, a ocean source plastics for our packaging. Uh, we obviously we use the uh, the aquaponics irrigation. We're researching how to uh, utilize our solid wastes and process those to make a plant supplement that would replace kind of more traditional fertilizers. And uh, we're doing a lot of, we do a lot of, well, I do a lot of R&D. That's my, my primary uh, focus at the company. And um, it's, it's all about, you know, improving the, the quality, improving the yields and kind of proving out 
the uh, the business case for uh, aquaponics and and you know trying to improve the uh, the profitability however we can. Um, so I guess I can talk a little bit about our, our early R and D. If you you mentioned uh, sure. some side by sides, so um, you did a you had an incredible presentation at the aquaponics or sorry the aquaponic cannabis conference and at the aquaponics association conference both um, some great talks on some of the different science that you worked on both in, in koi which was an incredible talk that you did uh, for the association uh, I thought it was one of the one of the best ones of the conference. Uh, and then also on our on our podcast uh, and conference as well, or at the Aquaponic Cannabis Conference, on the difference uh, between you know uh, having aquatic microbes and not, and it really was mind blowing. Um, some of the other metrics that you had tested that I had never gotten, you know, the ability to test. So I'd love for you to tell us about that. You know how you set that up and and some of the results that you had because they were quite astounding. Yeah. So um, our early tests when when we first got the fish in, we only got about uh, fifty kilograms worth of koi. Uh, They're very small because it's easier to transfer smaller fish. So we couldn't uh, couldn't go f- full scale up right away just because we didn't have the enough fish to make enough nutrients. So we started out small. And one of the ways we started out was looking at um, your kind of just traditional living soil versus living soil paired with aquaponics. And we did a few of these trials and the initial results were so good that uh, we just kept on with that method of pairing the aquaponics with living soil. We've investigated other things as well along the way, but that's our our primary growing method at this point. And we found increases in THC from four up to 20%. Uh, We saw terpenes going up, uh, usually plus 15%. Uh, Our yield per square foot increased anywhere from 20 to 40%. Um, and this is in the same room with the same HVAC, the same lighting, the same spacings. Like it was, it wasn't a randomized controlled trial, which is what the the later stuff we did was. But it is, you know, it was sort of an early exploration into it, and that was enough to really motivate us to continue with this and to 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 make that optimizing that method kind of our one of our main focuses, um, and. Uh, I wish we had, we didn't, uh, didn't look necessarily right at the, the soil microbes at that time. Um, but I, I hadn't heard of, uh, the soil food web at that point. So I didn't think to take samples, but, um, it is, you know, you're adding a, a living water to a living soil. Um, and it, it does really, we find improved terpenes and ter- improved THC, improved yield. Um, and it's actually, it's quite interesting. We did, um, we did a spacing trial, uh, one of our earlier trials, where we um, had you know a different number of plants on the tables. And uh, normally, when you're doing a, an optimization graph, you'll get a, a parabola of you know you see an, as you get a, a wider spacing, the plants can grow bigger. You get an increased yield, but then eventually, the number of plants you have goes down to the point that your yield goes down. So it's it's shaped like a parabola. Um, and what we noticed with the aquaponics water is that it shifted the parabola up and to the left so we could get more yield with fewer plants, um, which is great because it means, you know, you have better airflow, you have less uh, cramps um, plants, so you're going to have fewer issues with diseases. It's less 
you know, soil you're using, it's less staffing, it's, you know, it has a whole bunch of other benefits on top of the increased yields and the increased cannabinoids. Um, so we, um, that was, that was very early days, you know, our fish were still teeny tiny, but as, as fish grew, we were able to scale up. Um, we're now actually all of our flower rooms are, can be irrigated. We have enough fish, we have enough uh, nutrient generation. Uh, it took three years, but we, we got there. Um, and uh, because we're using koi, we don't harvest our fish. They're, they're effectively pets with jobs. Um, we uh, have bred them just to replace our own population as we go. Um, and there's some adorable videos on my, uh, my talk, I think, for your conference there, Steve, if anybody wants to see some baby fish. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we really, uh, you know, we try and, and make their lives good. We try and do some environment enrichment, but koi are generally very relaxed fish. So that, that helps uh, quite a bit. Um, and so um, once they got bigger, they were making more solid waste. And so we started looking into uh, digesting that and using that as a supplement. And that's when we got into the, um, the side-by-sides that I talked about, uh, or the, the randomized controlled trials that I talked about uh, in a bit more detail uh, at the conference. And so the basic idea behind those, the initial trials we did, we had uh, a few tables set up with, uh, you know, different blocks of plants. Uh, and we compared just municipal water and living soil with um, a, a, a vegan commercial fertilizer uh, compared to a fish hydrolysate, which is just, you know, you take um, fish processing waste and dissolve it in phosphoric acid, uh, effectively. And uh, we compared that with the uh, aerobically digested uh, solid waste from our aquaponics system. And what we found was we got similar yields uh, with the, um, the fish hydrolysate, which was uh, the highest and um, similar, uh, similar or better THC. Um, we got some interesting grading data where the, um, the solids, or sorry, the, uh, the digested products uh, resulted in more large buds um, as a percentage of the, the total harvest. Um, but it was, uh, it was really a, an interesting, uh, an interesting study. Um, I know everybody, we, we were always aware that, you know, you see a, a growth spurt in uh, after you flip the flower and then the growth levels off, but we saw that um, we have, you know, a nice graph that shows us that. And there wasn't really much difference in, you know, plant height or stem diameter, but we did see uh, changes in yields based on what fertilizers we were using. So once we, um, once we confirmed that, you know, we were still getting adequate THC, we were still getting uh, ad adequate cannabinoids and we could improve our yield at similar rates to commercial fertilizers, uh, we switched gears a bit. And we decided to uh, look at um, what the optimal dosing rate is. So we had another randomized control trial. This time it was with a CBD cultivar. And uh, we looked at you know high, medium, low dosing rates or just getting uh, water from our, our RAS system. Uh, and we individually harvested our plants and we weighed out the uh, the uh, bud yield, um, 
and we did find, you know, a dose response. Uh, we also looked at either irrigating the plants from the top or the bottom and how that would impact uh, how the plants grew, what height would they get to, how much yield you would get. And with this particular strain, uh, irrigating from the bottom uh, resulted in a higher yield and also um, it resulted in more of a response. So there is a, a bigger difference between the different dosing levels for the, the plants that were irrigated uh, from the to the bottom versus to the top of the, the system, likely because the ones that were getting irrigated from the top weren't quite as happy. So there was something else there that was holding back their, uh, their yield. Um, and so we found our nice peak uh, of you know, what the optimum dosing was. We did see that there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Um, so if we were dosing at the, the higher rate, um, we did see a, a decrease back down in yield. Um, and we took that data and we, uh, we also looked at the, the CBD production. It was pretty stable uh, at the very high levels of dosing. We did see a dip um, likely because it was just uh, the plants were just uh, having issues because of the high level of supplementation. Um, and we, um, so now we know, you know, at least for this cultivar, this is the, the dosing frequency, the dosing amount for the, um, the aquaponic solids uh, nutrients that we can use. And so we move forward with that. And we've actually quite recently weaned ourselves off of commercial fertilizers. Uh, so we our, our budget has gone down to maybe 5% of what it was at one point. Um, and we're, you know, we're better utilizing the nutrients that are going into and coming out of our aquaponic system, which is which is pretty exciting. That was a big, uh, a big milestone for us um, to get to that point. Have you seen um, increases in specific terpenes? Um, uh, we've seen increases a couple of different terpenes with the aquaponics versus our controls. Is that something else that you've, you've observed as well? Um, we haven't looked at that, I don't think, too specifically. I know that the cultivars we, we have looked at generally have a really a fairly stable uh, terpene expression. So there's usually the same, you know, top three. Um, but uh, we didn't uh, do the specific uh, testing on or I, I haven't crunched those numbers. I probably could, and I will now that you mention it. Um, but uh, we we didn't look at that uh, initially of if specific ones were increased more than others, just the total terpene content. We've noticed transneridol and uh, what the hell? Um, the other one is a florincine. Uh, for, uh, I can't remember the name. It begins with an F. Um, those two in particular seem to be really boosted by... by um, Aquaponic. I was just kind of curious on that. Um, can you, um, what other um, uh, things can you tell us as far as the the hybridization of the aquaponic water and the living soil? Um, it seems to be, you know, a lot of people kind of are in one camp or the other, and you're over here kind of going, "Hey, these work twice, you know, even better if you combine them too." And and that's something that I'm very passionate about as well. Uh, you kind of have a slightly different way to go about it than I do, but uh, both ways work work incredibly well. And I'd love for you to tell people. Um, you know, uh, some of the other benefits to adding it to their typical soil regimens, because I know you kind of came to it from a, a kind of a different uh, approach. And, uh, oh, um, Mike West says uh, Farnesacine. Uh, yes, thank you, Mike. Uh, Mike West is awesome. Mm -hmm. We got to get him back on the show, too. Uh, he's a 
one of the head could, people could, over there in the, in the lab at Embark. Could Daniel maybe explain her growth style? Sure. Yeah, so uh, we are irrigating our uh, our living soil with aquaponics water. It's, it's primarily a decoupled system. Um, we do have some the capacity to couple in veg, um, but we we primarily do decoupled, and then we also uh, will supplement with the the solid waste uh, digestate, um, for, uh, depending on. The, the cultivar and, and how hungry she is will, will increase or decrease um, to, uh, to kind of not waste anything uh, is, is the primary goal. And um, we do find, you know, it's, I like it for, for the sense of uh, cannabis is still a very new uh, plant crop at a commercial scale of, especially at a regulated commercial scale. Uh, and there hasn't been a ton of research. It's getting better. There's, you know, a lot of research facilities that are now saying, oh, we got $5 million. We got $10 million. We're opening this $50 million facility. Um, so I'm hoping that a, a whole bunch of information, you know, on optimal dosing strategies and stuff starts trickling out here soon. But there isn't a lot out there for, um, so it's, it's difficult to figure out exactly what's perfect and and at the same time every cultivar is different and every cultivar is different depending on what your hvac is and what your temperatures are and you know if there was any any stress at different life stages so it is a very complicated plant to grow and there's not a lot of of information out there um to to go on that you can use for your specific cultivar and your specific uh, grow methods. So what I really like about the living soil and coupling, coupling aquaponics with the living soil is that you, because you have that microbiome there, if the plant needs something, it can kind of request it from the microbiome. It'll put out the exudates and the microbiome will respond by taking what's in the soil and, and helping the plant ac access that. Whereas if you're working with hydroponics or like a sterile hydroponic system, you have to know what the plant needs when it needs it and you need to provide it in the right form at the right time and the right amount and without providing too much of anything else that's going to block the uptake of that one thing that it needs at that time. Um, and so it gets it gets very complicated and very difficult. And we have we have worked with cocoa, we've worked with um, you know a cocoa peat kind of mix and, and we were able to grow successfully but it it is I would say more difficult um and it doesn't necessarily seem to have any significant benefits in terms of cannabinoids or in terms of yields at least from from our trials from our side by sides um and uh so I that's this one thing I really like is it is you know you're you're utilizing both systems the, the soil and, and the living soil and the living water. Um, and they're working into each other and, and the plant seems to respond really, really well to that. Hopefully that answers your question. Uh, you mentioned bottom watering. Uh, are you, uh, were you talking, sorry, sorry. Second, I wanted to give a quick uh, uh, hello and introduce Fumador as well. Uh, joining us as well since we got started. Howdy, howdy. Cheers, guys. Uh, nice to see you. I don't mean to uh, interrupt the discussion, but uh, nice to see you guys. Uh, nice to see uh, Wes and, and uh, uh, Ms. Maitland. I didn't catch your first name. Sorry. Uh, Danielle. Danielle. Nice to meet you, Danielle. Uh, cheers. Uh, 
back to the presentation. Uh, so you mentioned bottom watering, and uh, uh, so a couple people in the chat I know chimed in and were asking. Uh, now, is it like a sip you use, or is it uh, how, how do you how do you uh, administer your bottom watering? Uh, so we were just doing drip irrigation uh, to the uh, to the bottom of the the, the okay. pots versus okay. uh, a halo at the top. Okay, awesome. Never uh, never tried to do drip irrigation like that. I've always just done sips or uh, what's the aquaponic one for it? Um, Ebb and flow. Wicking wicking beds. Wicking yeah. beds. Um, uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about some of the other um, um, uh, things that you're working on there at the aquaponics stuff. I know you're you're quite the koi specialist as well. Uh, yeah, so we we're always doing uh, always doing research. Uh, I, I I have more of a fish background than a plant background, so I I like to do a lot of a uh, lot of trials with the fish and and look at you know growth rates and and the one the talk I gave at the aquaponics association was basically just. Um, we we tracked our fish growth over the course of several months um, because we we had kind of observed that didn't seem to matter how often we graded the koi. There's always one or two in the population who just seemed to outgrow everyone else, and they would sort of monopolize the tank and eat a disproportionately large amount of the food. And we wanted to see, you know, how free how fast does this happen. Um, you know, how severe is the, the actual difference? Because it's hard to tell when you're just staring down at a tank and, and trying to tell how much bigger one fish is than another fish. Um, and we we know that, you know, there's there can be some impacts on fish welfare. Um, if, you know, that there's really small ones who aren't getting any food, they, they're more prone to getting sick and then they can get other fish sick. So we were concerned about it from a welfare point of view, but also, you know, an operational point of view of how frequently do we need to be grading these fish? How frequently, um, do we need to be taking up the smaller ones or just taking up the larger ones? So we looked at them over uh, the, the course of a few months, and we did find it didn't it didn't matter what grade, it didn't matter. Um, you know, they were all freshly graded into these tight little cohorts of you know fish were all within fifty grams or something or so of each other, and then after three months, there was always two or three fish who were just way out ahead of the pack. Um, and it, it happened very quickly and it happened in every tank. Uh, so it didn't seem to be dependent on, you know, the original, the starting size of the fish. I think it's just something inherent about koi of one, you know, there's going to always going to be two or three fish in the tank who like food way more than everyone else, or maybe they just start out a little bit bigger. That gives them a slight advantage and then they take off. Um, so from that, we, that we um, okay. sorry. Does that have to do with um, like the old, you know, because a lot of freshwater fish that um, come from saltwater fish, is that kind of that same mechanism you see like in tilapia and some of the cichlids where you have a couple of them that just get kind of more hormonally dominant or? I don't know. I mean, they're not aggressive at all. Um, they, it certainly wasn't a, you know, they were chasing the other fish off the food. It was more of a, I'm bigger. I'm just going to go straight for the food and everybody else is going to get knocked out of the way. Um, it, uh, so I don't know, I don't think it's, it's a hormone thing. I think it's a, you know, how food motivated are they and how are, if they're a little bit bigger to start, you know, it gives them that advantage. Um, 
but it it definitely um it, it's been seen in koi before it's been documented um they call them uh shoot carp or toby koi is the other term for them um and it is you know it is a, a kind of a known phenomenon and it seems to be primarily related to food competition so if you say you had um, a cup of food and it was tiny food so there's a whole bunch of pellets you'd see that that spread happens slower and happen to a lesser degree than if you were giving us the same weight of food but but larger pellets so you know there's only so many pellets to go around. So the ones who are more aggressive get a disproportionately larger amount of food. Whereas if you had smaller pellets spread out over the entire population, the rest have a better chance at, uh, at getting the food. And it um, it doesn't happen if say you have 10 fish and you separate them into 10 different tanks, it, it is a competition based, uh, a based thing. Um, but uh, but it's it was it was useful for us and it was an interesting that was one of our, our earlier studies when the koi were still quite small and it was feasible to take them all out of the tank and weigh every single one of them and then put them back in the tank. Uh, they're they're quite a bit bigger now and I wouldn't want to do that especially to our uh, our largest ones they don't like being weighed very much anymore just because the taking them out even with a koi sock taking them out of the water I still feel bad so we uh, we do them more of a, a once a year kind of thing of just to check up on them and see how they're growing. Um, but, uh, you know, grading, we still, we'll, we'll top grade and bottom grade. So we'll just kind of look and see if we, uh, if there's, you know, certain fish who have massively outgrown everybody else, they get moved up. And if there's anybody who's small and struggling, they'll get moved down uh, to the fish who are closer to their own size. Um, and it's our, our, our growth rate has slowed down. They're about four years old now. Um, so it is uh, becoming less pronounced, but we also just had a whole bunch of babies. So it's it's very pronounced in the babies and they are aggressive um, when they're little, uh, quite quite a bit. So we had to be on top of that uh, just to, to keep the smaller ones from getting bullied. And we have a mix of, um, of butterfly koi and, and regular finned koi. And the butterfly koi, um, it's like the difference of, of you know, swimming, in normal swimsuit versus swimming in a swimsuit with a cape on they they're slower they they get to the food less they're less competitive so the, all of our butterfly pretty much all of our butterfly boy in this cohort are quite a bit smaller than the regular ones so we're kind of trying to uh, to help them out a bit by keeping the big guys getting them moved out as they get big um just so the uh, the littler ones can have a have a shot but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I do enjoy that side of it. Um, we're also, we're also looking at, and I'm doing a, a PhD through Dalhousie University, and we're looking at uh, designing fish feeds specifically for aquaponics. Um, and we're wrapping up, we should be wrapping up the last of those trials here in, in a month or two. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, we're really excited about. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the aquaponics literature for, decades at this point of oh somebody should design an aquaponics fish feed you know that is the next step that's a that would be a great area of research but there hasn't been a lot of research published about it i i, I know you mentioned steve that you you um that yeah. uh, you'd heard of some yeah, we, people trying it out yeah the so aquaponics source actually gave uh, was was working with abc organics for a little while before the owner of that company passed away and um, they were we were they were trying to work on it for a bit, and then kind of it kind of became like a money pit, and, uh, and kind of they kind of backed off. And then um, 
So that was back when Sylvia was still there. And then um, uh, there was um, uh, Optimal has a food that I think is economically less viable than, um, you know, currently. I mean, if you go and spend the minerals, the supplement, the same thing, you're going to spend, you know, 90% or anyways, 40% less on your month, your monthly fish feed. Um, and then you have some others that have dabbled with it. I know uh, Star Milling was playing with it. And um, what's the other one? There's one other one that there was out there was trying to do an aquaponic feed. Um, so especially for for more performance plants, not so much lettuce. Um, mm-hmm. But um, no one's, you know, people kind of did it for a while, didn't really get the results that justified enough continued funding and gave up on it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and I mean, that might be what happens with us. We're, we're seeing some good initial results and, you know, controlling um, phosphorus output and, and sodium output, um, which are, are good. Um, but uh, it's, I am, I am very much hoping to, to publish it because there hasn't been a lot of stuff that's been published. And if, even if I find, you know, doesn't do anything, don't waste your time. At least there's an official publication saying doesn't do anything, don't waste your time instead of, um, you know, the, the current state, which is everybody saying that, you know, somebody should do this, somebody should do this. And then it hasn't been, uh, hasn't been published yet. So that's kind of the, what I'm hoping to finish after four years of, of paying tuition. Um, but uh, I'm, it's, it, we're getting some good initial results. And one thing, even if we get nothing else out of it, that the, our koi absolutely love our fish feed. They are not fond of, of, some of the commercial controls, um, but as soon as the uh, the uh, the stuff we formulated hits the the water, they're going straight for it. Um, so, uh, if nothing else, it's a good treat. Um, but uh, we, I, I'm I'm fairly happy with how it's performing so far. We've we've been focusing on fish only trials, and then we're going to move into um, to to plant trials at, at different stages of the cannabis, and we might do a little bit of um, of vegetables as well, just to see if uh, it has an impact on that. Um, so that's really exciting, um, and I'm I'm really happy that we're we're moving forward with that so far. Um, we currently make uh, quite a bit more solid waste than we have space to process. Um, and because we've had such good results with the the process stuff so far, we're looking into some uh, some methods of scaling that up, um, which would be will be very exciting uh, going forward. Um, I think based on on our numbers so far, we'll probably be able to make more than we need on site. So either um, uh, making it into a product or uh, you know uh, using it for an expansion, something like that is uh, that's on the table. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about, uh, about doing that research and figuring out a way to commercialize it because it is applicable to not just aquaponics, but to, you know, any kind of freshwater aquaculture facility can use similar processes. And it, uh, it, it speaks, sorry, go ahead. uh, I know the main chemical challenges you run into are the iron uh, oxidation, the the potassium being, uh, heart problem issue for the fish and the manganese also, you know, dropping out from oxidation. Um, I, I, I often wondered if you could do um, fulvic or humic chelated versions of those and have them pass through the fish and remain in a plant usable form. But I don't know of anyone that's had a, a chance to test that for that application. I do know two people making pretty good quality humic acid chelated iron 
and some other stuff now it's something i want to try and i'm real curious about um have you worked with any of that type of stuff or is it something you can't talk about or anything uh, we did some uh, initial trials just looking at um, using, you're com combining some um, some iron, some commercial iron-based uh, organic fertilizers with our, our digestate, and the iron grabbed the phosphorus and fell out of the water um, pretty, pretty quick, which is probably a, a chelation issue, so I, I could see uh, humic or fulvic helping with that. Um, but that is that is one thing you see of if you have a high phosphorus, um, you don't have much iron. And then if you add, it's actually a, a method for uh, wastewater treatment plants to pull phosphorus out of the water before they discharge it is they use uh, an iron um, product that will bind to the phosphorus and, and follow the solution. So it is, uh, it is definitely a, a well-known uh, issue with uh, your more available forms of phosphorus that uh, they they're very friendly with with iron with calcium calcium as well but definitely uh, definitely with iron. Funny um they use uh, Fosban reactors for reef tanks um, uh, for the exact same purpose of stripping the phosphorus out of the waters. Yeah. But, it's really interesting. I've, I never thought about it in that plant context. No, it's I, there's a there's a lot about the uh, the digestion processes that are very similar to things that you'll see in in human wastewater treatment. My my background is in chemical engineering, and uh, I've I've done you know a few courses and, and projects on on human municipal wastewater treatment. And actually, the the poster behind me is uh, is all the uh, the different types of of uh, bugs you'll get in your activated sludge process. And uh, it is, there's, it, it overlaps exactly. If you take a, a, a happy aerobic uh, digestate and look at it under a microscope, you will see pretty much everything on that list. And you'll see the, the progression of, of the populations happen in the same way that you do see with an activated sludge process. Um, and it's kind of the, based on the, the amount of energy that's available at the time of, you'll see, uh, first you'll see your fast moving, the, 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 the bugs that have to do a lot of work to eat. So your, your ciliates that, you know, bounce around the, the microscope slide really fast and have, you know, a million legs that are pushing them all over the place. Um, those will, those will start first. Um, and then as the, um, the amount of food goes down, uh, they, they sort of start to drop off and your things that, that do less work to eat will show up. So your filter feeders, uh, like, um, Oh, I, I'm blanking on the name, um, but the, uh, the you know, they, they kind of sit their feet down and they just kind of pull everything into their mouths. Um, you'll see those come up, uh, the populations of those come up and then you'll get your, your larger predators. So your worms and your nematodes um, coming in and, and sort of cleaning things up. And then as, as that progression happens, more and more of the nutrients are getting released into the, uh, into the liquid form of your digestate because you know as you go up the food chain they become less efficient they don't need you know as many of the nutrients to to create their own bodies so they are releasing the excess and generally a plant available form um so sorry for that rant uh but uh it's a really interesting thing and it's it's something that it's really fun to to just look at under a microscope because you can see it changing in real time um 
and you know, if even if you have a, a, just a decent light microscope, you don't need something that can see and count bacteria or, or you don't need to do any staining. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, of, you know, putting a couple drops on a slide and turning the light on. Um, I had a question for you just because your data very much contradicts uh, something I heard the other day. So I was listening to um, a podcast, I think it was on, on FCP with uh, Nick from Rooted Leaf and the gentleman from BioAg. And I believe Blend and Rust popped on there too. And they were talking about how um, the nitrate pathway for conversion was actually directly competing with terpene expression and, and the resources for the nitrogen used for terpenes and cannabinoid production and how those different pathways worked. But with your results, you're actually seeing the opposite. You're actually seeing improved numbers with nitrates being the primary nitrogen source versus from the fish waste versus some others. So it kind of made me think like there's got to be a lot more into that mechanism than we kind of currently understand with the plant science and how, you know, there, there's a lot more science that we need to learn now that we just have no idea on what these other forms of microbes or other plant processes that were currently un, not understood. So um, I, I didn't know if you had any more thoughts on the nitrogen stuff, because typically people always talk about nitrates being a little bit harder on the plant and so you know kind of some kind of other negative things around nitrates and um again I, I i myself think that it really is the better way to go for production you, you do as well i wondered if you could speak to that a little bit um i haven't uh seen the research that you just mentioned um i do know that um i have seen some stuff come out about you know if you uh, increasing nitrogen will have, you know, a, a decreasing impact on THC and, and specifically in the form of nitrate. Um, but uh, I remember looking at that and, and the, the concentrations of the nitrate that we're using aren't, weren't at that, that height, uh, weren't at that level. So that's why I potentially could be why we weren't seeing a negative impact. Um, we do have a, a little bit of ammonia in our water as well. So it's not all nitrate, but it is predominantly nitrate. Um, and we haven't, I mean, our results have been, have been good in there. Uh, I know that the living soil does have, um, uh, you know, chicken manure in it, which is, is quite high in ammonia. So perhaps that's, that's countering it a little bit of, you know, we're giving them both, um, but uh, I haven't seen anything side by side. There is there is so much research that could be done that's that's interesting and so much that you know it it just needs a a proper. It's it's difficult to control, and especially with with living soil uh, or with soil in general. It can be so uh, heterogeneous. It, it it is a difficult thing um, to control, and the plants themselves can be quite quite difficult uh, depending on. Uh, you know, how the clones are taken and, and how, um, you know, even your canopy is, how even your plant sizes are when you start. We had some, some issues with our, our controlled, uh, randomized block, uh, controlled block designs where we'd have, you know, um, two or three plants throughout the, the grow that just were stunted. Um, not necessarily sure why, but that does impact how you have to do your statistical analysis and you have to look for outliers and, and whatnot. And that can be, um, it, just, it makes everything a lot more complicated. And when you have a plant like cannabis, that is, you know, um, I don't wanna say difficult to grow, but so heterogeneous just between different cultivars, it is hard to get, 
you know, you can say for this, for this ghost train haze or for this Charlotte's angel or for this, you know, for my cultivar, nitrates are bad. But if somebody else could have a different cultivar with the same name, that maybe that's its real name, maybe that's its real, you know, parentage, or maybe they just decided to call it that because, or somebody told them that's what they got, um, that really likes nitrates or, you know, really likes bottom watering or really likes top watering or, you know, responds to drought stress with an increase in THC or responds to drought stress with completely, complete nutrient lockout and, you know, no THC production. It's such a varied, um, such a very, there's so much variation within the plant and with between plants um, and between cultivars that it, it's a really interesting area of research, but it's going to be difficult to see how translatable it is um, when you have such, it, everything is so specific to what you're growing. Uh, it's a, a great point. Um, uh, as we, you know, people often ask, ask me like, is there anything you can't grow in aquaponics? And it's like, yeah, well, like four or 5% of all phenotypes are just going to hate whatever it is that you're doing. So if you're growing aquaponics, it wants to be in soil. If you're doing soil, it wants hydro. If you're doing hydro, it wants to be in soil. Like, like, you know what I mean? So that you do have a yeah. couple, you know, 5% that are just, you know, pouty plants, you know what I mean? And you just can't do anything about it. And, and we do all, uh, all of our, or not all, but we, we do a lot of our own pheno hunting in-house using our process, using our, our procedures. So we know how, so we're looking at, at how it's going to respond in our system. So we know, you know, this cultivar, we got great terpenes, great THC, great yield, you know, really good structure using our soil and our aquaponics water. So when we go to translate that into a commercial setting, we don't get any surprises. Did you do any comparisons on trichome yield, um, trichome diameter, um, you know, between I, uh, different ones? I would love to, but I don't think I have the equipment for that. Do you just, you probably need a. Oh yeah. Just need a set of bubble bags. In fact, in fact, we, we'll we hit up Marcus. We'll see what we can do for you. Okay. Yeah. We'll I'm, always looking, I'm always looking for an extra thing I can test. So. I know, uh, I know um, um, Mike Westover and Embark is a big fan of the, of aquaponic cannabis, he said that it's the best weed he's smoked in all of uh, Canada or anywhere. Really, has, has been uh, uh, aquaponic weed from from Canada. So, a uh, uh, big fan. I'm sure. I'm sure we can find a way to. If not, I'll send you some. Great. Yeah. The um, I'm always. It's always good to uh, to come up with. You know, and there's not. I wish there were more metrics um, of things because right now it's it's basically. You know, you can get your THC, you can get your, your cannabinoids, you can get your, your terpenes, but in terms of things that are, um, are easy or don't cost $150 a test, I guess. Sure. Well, is the so way. The nice it, thing, if you bubble washed your stuff and ch check the size, you could actually see what would be better at yielding for hash. So it'd be very relevant. And it's the cost of water and ice. It'd be a, a very good, uh, uh, affordable test to try. I'm certainly curious to see if uh, it's something that I've never done with direct um, with any of our soil and aquaponic comparisons. And it's something I was, I've always wanted to do. And then I always kind of forget after the fact, because, you know, you're always worried about all the 10,000 other things you're trying to record for whatever, excuse me, study or whatever else that you're working on. So you know, yeah. it's easily uh, lost. Um, one other thing I want to mention real quick about bubble bags 
if you're traveling around the world and you want to like meet with some heady uh, uh, weed people out around the world and you want to trade them to get good seeds, bubble bags are one of the best things that you can bring through an airport that you're not going to get harassed about. And you can trade and it has trade value that is on, on par with like trading, bringing seeds from the States, right? So if you're like traveling to Africa or the Caribbean or something and you don't want to pollute the population's gene pool, you can absolutely trade bubble bags and it has very good trade value for the people that actually understand the value of them. They'll go lose, you know, you, you got that here in the middle of, you know, random faraway place. Like, how did you do that? Like, anyways, so I've had a, a really good luck with that and you can get bubble, you know, different sets of bags for, for fairly affordable prices these days. So um, definitely an option if you do want to be a more uh, uh, conscientious uh, seed collector. Um, do you want to tell us a little about that incredible database? That, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but uh, uh, that incredible database that you're working on that you'll have out for us soon? Or? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, as part of my PhD, I was working on a literature review, um, as you do. Uh, and I started, uh, I've, I'm a big fan of Excel. So I figured, okay, I'll just, as I go through these, I'll, I'll put everything into Excel. So I started out fairly small of, you know, I'll put in the title and then, you know, the paper and the authors and, and I, it basically turned into this absolutely massive sheet that has uh, all the uh, parameters from the aquaponics literature, you know, what plant were they growing, what spacing were they using, what fish were they using, how big were the fish when they started, what density were they growing at, what size of fish tanks were they using, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I went through um, basically all the literature from um, mid-2021 back to the start, which the first articles were in 1977-1978. So I have um, I have all these parameters scored for each, uh, each paper um, for about 300 papers. Um, and so I'm, I'm going through now and making sure I, you know, checking for typos and spelling mistakes and filling in some things that I decided to add in halfway through, uh, just going back to the, the first papers I looked at. And um, it's, it's, it has the potential, I think, to be really useful for people who are either, you know, looking at doing commercial aquaponics or looking at doing aquaponics research, or they're looking at publishing their aquaponics research and they want to be able to compare it to what people have done before. So say you're growing tilapia and you want to know all the papers that have looked at tilapia. You can search the spreadsheet, um, sort it by just, just show me the tilapia papers that were growing using, um, you know, lettuce and fish that were over 50 grams. And you can sort and then that'll give you a list of references that you can look up and look through and say, how close is it to what I'm doing? Or how, um, you know, how did they set up their experiments? Or, uh, you know, what, what did they find? Was it, or what were they, even what were they looking at? Were they comparing, you know, different pHs or were they looking at different stocking densities or, you know, different, uh, were like um, media-based versus uh, NFT versus uh, deep water culture, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be a really good resource for people um, who are interested in aquaponics or who are, you know, researching or looking to do, um, uh, commercial aquaponics just to to speed up their literature research, uh, search so they can kind of at a glance tell what is most relevant to them. 
And so the plan is to do some, to, to pretty it up and make it a little bit more user-friendly than it currently is. And I'm hoping to post it uh, just out freely on the, uh, the Aquaponics Association website by the end of the summer, hopefully. But I wouldn't recommend um, it. It was a lot of work. <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge uh, spreadsheet nerd. I've been working on the Open Nutrient Project to try and uh, aggregate all the different mulch and you know liquid fermentation and compost tea data into one central database so uh, i feel your pain <laughs> yeah it's uh when you say oh i'm just going to get everything it just it does it just tends to uh to cascade on you but uh, what's your favorite uh from doing that what's your favorite uh, compost tea um Compost teas, I'll be honest with you, I've kind of moved away from them uh, other than uh, um, a couple of, of scenarios. I'm much more, I think, if you're if you're looking for the same kind of benefits of compost tea, I really feel like liquid IMO is a much, much, much better uh, product and a much, much better um, thing for your living soil and organic, um, you know, sustainable soil production. Um, it just, I've seen... Uh, IMO do all kinds of crazy things and cure different diseases much faster than any commercially available product and cure things that allegedly you can't cure once they hit a certain point of infection. And after that, it's like, well, all right, then this, this is, uh, you know, uh, simply fixing the food web seems to, seems to do a whole lot more than, than we realize. So um, it also allows you to use a lot more, less nutrients and everything else. I know out in Oklahoma, we have a real uh, bad problem with disease called septoria but if you uh, spray your fields ahead of time before you even put the seeds in the ground or, or clones in the field with um, liquid imo uh, you can very very easily uh, you know completely prevent the septoria outbreak entirely because the plants have that biodiversity in the root system that helps their immune system uh, you know defend itself so it just helps boost the plants in a way that is just uh, much, much better. And then even in some of the controls that I've seen out there in terms of comparisons and side-by-sides with and without, you get higher terpene levels. Again, for the same reason that aquaponics gets higher terpene levels and living soil gets higher terpene levels, that you have that microbial biodiversity that's significantly higher than, you know, hydro or, you know, running GH or any of the other, you know, you know, generic chemical nutrient solutions that don't have any microbial component. Yeah. So what are yeah. some of the other things that you've... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead with your question. I was just going to say, what are, what, um, what are some of the other things that you've noticed with aquaponics as far as differences with the aquaponic plants versus your controls? Well, actually, um, we didn't realize this till much later. So you're, you're familiar with the, the Canadian model of when you go to the batch release uh, commercial product, you have to test absolutely everything. Um, yep. uh, and, uh, one of those absolutely everything's is microbials. So we did our side-by-sides and because we grew them in different ways, we had to batch release them as, as different, um, uh, products basically. Well, they're the same product, but different batches. Um, and so we got, uh, the micro testing done and we did it. Um, so on the, the, the two tests we did and two test is, isn't, you know, science, but it, it's, 
an anecdote or two anecdotes, uh, we did find that the, um, the microbial levels on the final product grown in the same room on, you know, the same HVAC, taken harvested at the same time in the same way, taken to the same dry room, the ones that received uh, aquaponics water had lower microbial levels on the final product than the ones grown right beside them that were just living soil and municipal water, which we thought was really, really interesting. They were still, like the levels were all still fine for, for releasing them, but the, the aquaponics came lower both times, um, which is a super interesting thing that I'd like to figure out exactly what the mechanism is for that. But um, it could be any number of things. It could just be, you know, the plant is overall healthier. So it has, you know, a better resistance to, to microbials or maybe it, it dries better or faster or it could be any a number of things. But the, the, the result that we came up with that we didn't actually notice until quite a bit later because we weren't looking for it was that the, the aquaponics product had, had lower microbial levels on the final dried product. I don't know if you've seen anything like that, but we were pretty excited about it. Yeah, the thing I've noticed the most with it is the um, uh, resistance to powdery mildew seems to be significantly higher than the soil plants. That we, and I, I, you know, there's definitely a microbe that's triggering that, that's, you know, boosting that, that mold resistance in the plants that uh, is, is pretty easily seeable. I know we actually did some tests where we took an infected plant and tried to rub it on some of the plants to try and infect them. Uh, especially when we were testing silica because we were trying to see, you know, how it was a random observation that the plants with higher silica levels weren't getting it either. And um, we were trying to kind of force it and kind of, you know, see how much we could push it. And it was kind of crazy to see stuff just slough it off and not even care, you know, and <laughs> still a, is a, an interesting thing that, that we definitely observed on that. And then um, uh, some of the other stuff was just, a much stronger smell in veg, you know, a much more potent um, uh, of those non-sessile um, trichomes and some of those early trichomes that form on the plant, especially doing stem rubs. You know, you definitely get a much more fragrant um, preview out of the aquaponic plants I've noticed in the soil. Um, again, minor observation, but it means that they're producing more, you know, yeah. even no, in that sure. early stage. Um, the other big thing that I've seen sometimes is in certain strains, as much as 100% increase in CBD. Um, we've had some strains go from 2 to 6% and, and things like that. Uh, so, uh, which is, again, I think directly attributed to some type of aquatic microbe, you know, changing the expression of that. So, and again, this is all stuff that just needs to be fleshed out much. A, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of hard questions there to try and figure out how you'd even quantify a, a test for that. Yeah. to try and determine what, what it is. Um, we did have yeah. some questions from chat. Um, Jim Owen asks, what are your different things that you could add to soil to increase terps and or THC in cannabis? Well, aquaponics water, um, for one. Um, if you're looking at more of a, a home grower situation, I've, and this is, you know, uh, you can, if you have a fish tank, that's not a saltwater tank. Uh, you can use water for the, if you're doing a water change, you can, uh, use that as your irrigation water. That's something I do at home. Um, it uh, makes my goldfish happy because they get, uh, water changes a little bit more frequently because I want to use their water for growing things. Um, uh, you know, uh, any, I know, I can't remember and see if you might have seen this. Uh, there were some 
I feel like there's some research that came out about worm compost or uh, megabin compost teas and, and THC expression, but I, I can't remember that well enough off the top of my head to, uh, to speak to it. I know there was one with, um, was it chamomile? I think it was being interplanted with the plants, increasing THC expression. I think that's the only one I can remember seeing off the top of my head. But yeah, I haven't seen one with the worm castings. Um, man, it's a shame that uh, that Coot's not, Coot's not here. Coot would know that for sure. In three seconds, he could rattle off the paper on the worms. Um, but uh, um, he's not here, unfortunately. Um, but that's the only one that I guess comes to mind. Off the top. There isn't a lot of um, studies on individual triggers around THC, and which is kind of makes it kind of hard to try and suss it out other than just making sure your manganese is, you know, above threshold. That's about, that is one thing that'll definitely inhibit, um, you know, an otherwise healthy plant in terms of expressing THC is if your manganese is either in an unchelated form uh, and not bioavailable or too low, um, you know, you have to have it above a minimum threshold to trigger that, you know, full THC expression. And if it's not, um, that was one thing that one of the reasons why when we were in Zimbabwe, we specifically chose a previous tobacco field that had been sitting fallow for 30 or 40 years was because it had a ton of manganese. They dump a lot of manganese in the soil um, when they when they grow tobacco because it's another resinous plant. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we didn't have to really do anything other than just add the microbes to the soil and the fertilizer was already there. So it was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing you can do is just you know if you have one cultivar you can you can do different experiments with that one because it you know we've we've seen that the same you know genetically identical plant if you grow it one way you'll get really high yield and 14 percent thc and if you grow it a slightly different way you'll get slightly less yield and 25 percent thc and it is you know it, it wasn't same soil same everything else just the you know irrigation method or you know how much stress stress or how much you know there's a whole bunch of different factors um so if you have you know one one plant it is worthwhile to 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 work with that plant and um uh try and see if you can optimize it in different ways and it might you know, we have another cultivar that we did the exact same thing with, and it was 24% the first time, and it was 24% the second time. Uh, it had almost no impact. So, you know, it's, it is, it is specific to the, the plants you're trying to grow. Um, and it would be nice to see somebody do, you know, same room with 50 different, you know, cultivars, and just to look at what impact do you get doing these exact same things that, you know, we found before that haven't have, have an effect um, just as a, as a fun, probably very expensive research project. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be a lot of, uh, unless you had an HPLC, that would not be fun. <laughs> no. And if you had an HPLC, it would be a different type of not fun because you'd be oh, on yeah. that HPLC for <laughs> several weeks. Yep. <laughs> oh first world problems right yeah. <laughs> um uh anything else you wanted to talk to us about as far as your stuff i know it's getting a little bit late there i didn't want to keep you too much past an hour or yeah, so I know, uh, it's quite late on your your time zone there it is it is getting uh fairly late um no um i mean i'm always happy to answer questions um uh if there's any more from chat throw them at me but uh, Oh, we had one question. Uh, 
Some people use, um, okay. What do some people use instead of molecular sieves? Oh, that's not a me question. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. I I'm not quite sure what you're referring to there, Russell. Maybe you wanna um, clarify your question. Um, we had another person ask, um, uh, do you reuse the water from your runoff after it goes through the soil? Uh, we don't uh, do too, too much runoff. Uh, so we, we're most of it's going into the soil and then the plant transpires it up into our HVAC. We are looking at, um, it's been a pet project of mine to do uh, water recapture from our HVACs uh, and reuse that. But uh, that's still ongoing. Um, we're, we're making some progress, but uh, it is uh, it is something that, you know, it's a good way of saving water, but uh, it's effectively, you know, distilled water when it comes out of there, but you do have to be worried about some, uh, some diseases like to live in those types of uh, equipment. So you gotta, you know, get a good testing and sterilization process and in stream before you can, uh, before you can reuse it. Um, uh, but another question, um, do you have to do anything different with your pest control because of the way that you're growing? Uh, well, because we are certified uh, through Clean Green, uh, there's uh, a bunch of, you know, uh, pesticides that aren't uh, approved for organic cultivation that we can't use uh, because we were are in Canada and Health Canada controls uh, your cultivation. There's a very small list of things you can use um, according to Health Canada. Um, so we're we're restrained there. We do a, we have a pretty strong IPM program. Um, we use a lot of beneficial uh, bugs in our grow rooms to as preventatives and, and as treatments. Um, just to, to keep anything and everything under control. Um, we are very careful about, um, you know, if, if we are doing any kind of research of what can make it back to the fish, um, just because you do have to be concerned about that, the fish as well as the, uh, because we run an, a recirculating aquaculture system, uh, we're dependent on a biofilter to process the ammonia that the fish release into nitrate. And that biofilter can be quite sensitive um, to all sorts of things. So you have to be very careful of what hits your biofilter as well as what hits your fish. Um, uh, you know, if you have fish, do not have yucca extract anywhere near you um, is always a good rule of thumb. Oh yeah, I get yeah. at least two to three calls a year on that one. That's yeah. always like, a well, buy some more fish. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, no, I've I've heard some horror stories, so um, I don't. If, yeah, carbon does a pretty decent job of pulling it out after a little while. So. Yeah, I've uh, our one of our soil guys came and said, "Oh, I heard of this. I got this new product. It's supposed to be great wetting agent. It's organic. You know, it should be fine with your certifier." And I was like, "Is it yucca?" He's like, "Oh my god, yes, you've heard of it." And I was like, "No, thank you. Um, I like my fish." Oh yeah. I'm very fond I, of I, always love, I always love explaining to people how the Native Americans on the West Coast of the United States used to collect uh, yucca roots, squeeze the juice out, concentrate it into clay vessels, evaporate it down, and pour it into rivers during the salmon run and kill off a section of the river. And the rest of the village would be waiting about half a mile downriver to collect all the fish that float to the surface so they could smoke them and eat them. And it's like, yeah, that's how poisonous it is. Like a few drops will kill thousands of gallons. Like people, people really underestimate it. Yeah, 
no, it, uh, it's one of those things that scares me, uh, for sure. Um, so, uh, we're, we're pretty careful about that. And we're, um, What's interesting is, uh, you, you know, beetle nuts, like the kind that like um, people in Thailand and uh, Indonesia like get high on, it rots their teeth out and stuff. They actually take an extract of the beetle nut husks and they use it for um, killing planarian and worms and nematodes. Um, but that is a wetting agent as well and isn't fish lethal. It actually isn't shrimp lethal either or coral lethal if it's dosed properly. So it's a very gentle, it is one of the weird things that the suffocant that's from the same kind of chemical base from a mm -hmm. nut or a root um, that uh, is, you know, safe and can be used to treat, you know, parasites in that way. I use it a lot with those little ornamental shrimps, uh, the cherry shrimps and things like that. Yeah. And when they have uh, the planaria that are killing them. Um, uh, uh, someone asks, will any wetting agent do that or just yucca? Uh, most wetting agents are incompatible with fish keeping in general. Yep, unfortunately. It just is a part of how uh, the chemistry works, unfortunately. <laughs> it allows them to, uh, kills them through a couple of different means, but yeah, uh, without getting into the science on that. Um, any other things that you'd like to share with people about aquaponics or living soil or combining the two or, you know, people that are interested in, in learning more about this? Um, well, I gave a pretty good talk at the, uh, the cannabis conference that, that uh, Steve put on there. Um, and I go into a little bit more detail in some of our trials. Um, so if you want to see that, if you, there's also a, a few talks at the aquaponics association um, that I gave that went a little bit more into koi. I can, um, I, I, if you're in Canada and you want to bulk purchase some baby koi, we can probably help you out if you want to reach out uh, through our website. Um, we are, I am, I am realizing that I know absolutely nothing about how colors are inherited with koi because we had two parents that were, uh, one was kind of a platinum, uh, uh, mirror koi and one was uh white with very bright orange fins and we have some very we have blue we have koi that are blue uh with you know blue scales which is not something i was expecting um so uh we got some really interesting looking fish i'm very uh very fond of the babies and we're looking to uh to maybe sell some um just because you don't want to have two thousand of the you know genetic siblings uh holding up your your aquaponics operation that's not a lot of genetic diversity so um but uh we have uh, uh drop limited drop aquachronic koi exactly exactly so um as far as i know we're the only people in nova scotia who breed koi um so if you so there's that um the uh yeah, there's, um, you know, there's uh, a lot of good talks. Um, I know um, we're probably, our social media is probably going to be pushing more pictures of the babies at them um, in the coming months. So if you like that, feel free to follow our socials. Um, we, uh, if you want to try our, our products, we're available in most places in Canada, most uh, provincial distributors. Um, we got uh, dried flour, oils, vapes, uh, gummies, um, 
rosins, all sorts of stuff available. Um, and uh, all sorts of uh, different cultivars with different uh, uh, terpene profiles and cannabinoid profiles for, uh, for all your tastes. Um, in terms of the R&D, uh, hopefully we'll be getting some, some more interesting stuff on that as we move forward. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking to start some more uh, blog posts and, and stuff like that with, um, with pictures and then kind of brief descriptions of studies and, and results and um, hopefully add to the kind of the non-scientific literature on the, on the subject. Um, and I'm always happy to, to come on things like this and, and talk about our, our fish and our, our process and um, some of our R&D. So thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun, even though it is pretty late in the evening. Hopefully I'm not getting to the point where I'm babbling yet. No, you're fine. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. We're de definitely welcome uh, welcome on here anytime, especially when you want to uh, tell us about some of your newest research. We're always happy to hear about all the awesome work you're doing. Uh, definitely hope to get you on for the, this year's Aquaponic Cannabis Conference. We're definitely going to be doing another one this year. Uh, I usually kind of wait till after 420 and uh, and planting season's done to start organizing that. So uh, we, we will be taking um, proposals for presentations this year, and I definitely want to get you on there again because uh, really learned a lot with your presentation last year. So thank you so much for coming on the show and really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was fun. Thanks a lot. And uh, you're, you're on one of those funky half time zones, right? Uh, 30 uh, minute time zones? Or is no, that the other I'm, part of Canada? That's Newfoundland. So Newfoundland, uh, that's a little bit farther east, right? Yeah, it's currently 1248 a.m. for me. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being awesome and, and sticking with us. No problem. If I, if I come on again, maybe just push it back a few hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll pick it up an hour for you next time. I apologize. No problem. It, 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 it probably wouldn't have helped today because we had all the technical issues, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem. Have a good night, everybody. Take care. Bye. Well, that was wonderful. Always love having Danielle on the show. Um, and um, uh, always enjoy uh, having her talk. If you haven't already, please go check out her, her talk at last year's Aquaponic Cannabis Conference. Uh, it is a, a really, really wonderful uh, and very informative presentation. Um, uh, how you doing, West Engine? Uh, how you doing? Uh, what's new with Man, you? I am high as drastic. I've been smoking fucking Lime River Rose all night. I am fucking phone. Uh, but, uh, that was an awesome talk. She was a great guest. Uh, she was so knowledgeable, so smart, but yeah. Oh yeah. She, awesome. uh, she and what's cool is a lot of people listen to the show. I mean, we kind of mainly aim the show at living soil and aquaponics and she kind of does a whole different way of hybridizing those uh, separate from, uh, you know, the, the dual root zone stuff, which we've all you know, talked about so much and, uh, it kind of has its own benefits and things like that. So it's kind of unique and, and neat to hear about and um, you know kind of just seeing how again those those microbial diverse communities in the soil really are the best way to go no matter how you go about achieving them um wh uh, what's new with you fiumi what's going on in your garden uh, i guess you stepped away for a moment yeah. it's okay um, i just have i just harvested that oaxacan uh oaxacan is growing and uh a bunch of other stuff, uh, some black garlic, uh, uh, Jordan of the Isle. Uh, I got a, I got a bunch of other stuff flipping and in, going into flower. A bunch of skunk stuff going into flower. Um, yeah, no, I got the, the gardens, garden pumping right now. 
So, nice. right along. Yeah. We did. Um, I'm working on a new uh, new project right now. We'll have a bunch more footage on that soon. You got a little bit of a preview on Instagram. But, I've seen uh, that. A, yeah. We did a quick trial on. Uh, we had basically we just had a bunch of different seating mediums, and the we were supposed to get an order on Tuesday, and it's probably going to come next Tuesday, and I'm out of plugs. So. Uh, we, we just used what we had laying around and we did a bunch of uh, we did some in the oasis flats and we did like one or two oasis flats uh, and then we did uh, rock wool and then we did rapid rooter and and I, I got a little video on that I'll, that'll be going up on youtube here in the next day or two um, when i have time to sit and think for five minutes um, and then um, although tomorrow is supposed to be a pretty big tornado outbreak so we'll, we'll see how that goes um uh, and then uh, we'll just have a lot more plant footage and stuff, especially as construction stuff goes along. We have a big outdoor living soil project and they'll be showing you guys. It's going to be a little bit bigger than uh, probably most of the other stuff on YouTube right now, um, size-wise. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that uh, as a tease for now, but uh, it's going to be pretty big, so that'll be fun. Uh, and some other really cool stuff um, uh, down that space. So uh, other than that... Um, yeah, just have some other things in, in the works. Um, we have Tommy Chong coming on the show May 12th. Super, super looking forward to that. Uh, we should be going back to uh, Monday and Thursday shows here in the next week or two. Might be another week before we're doing it back to two shows a week just because uh, uh, I'm kind of living in two places at once, working at this spot a little bit farther away. So depending on which spot I'm at, it's a little easier for me to have uh, a connection. Like right now, my internet connection is not the beta not the best here, but it'll be better um, when we get the new service here uh, pretty soon. But um, uh, when I'm up at the other, you know, my my normal house where I live, um, uh, we'll be able to do episodes on the normal schedule. So uh, bear with me here through the spring and, uh, and move back to normal here before too long. Uh, other than that, uh, you back there, Fumi? Not uh, going, but uh, other than that, um, I just got to, uh, you know, uh, hopefully I'll be able to pop a lot of different seeds. I have a ton of stuff on my collection. It's starting to get a little older. I want to start popping at least some of it and seeing what's going on. Um, so trying to pop a bunch of that, um, doing a little pheno hunting and some other cool stuff. Going to be trial running some different autos. So that'll be fun. Uh, I got some um, lion's claw from Pride of the Lion Seeds. He was on the show a couple, I guess a month or two ago. Um, uh, I don't remember exactly. I remember I was, I was here when he was there. Yep, and then I got some auto seeds from the gentleman out in Maine. I'm going to be running some of those and some other stuff, so I'm excited to run some of that. I'm not a huge auto fan, but excited to, to run theirs and kind of, I'm looking for some consistent stuff. If I can find stuff that's consistent in size, then I can run it commercially, but it, it's it's been kind of a crapshoot with all the stuff I've tried to date, so I'm excited to run those. We actually have a bunch of Lion's Claw running as well over at Verticus. We'll have two different, you know, Bane running it over there and I'm running it over here, so we'll have a uh, kind of a, a broad, you know, two different personalities on growing. So that'll be fun. Um, what else? Uh, that's about it for now. Um, we'll be doing a monthly grow club with um, uh, Jordan River here before too long. That'll be fun. Uh, and um, trying to think what else. i look for announcements on that. And then other than, other than that, I'm just super stoked to have... Um, Tommy Chong on the show, definitely someone who I've been listening to religiously every Christmas, the, the Cheech and Chong uh, a Christmas album, and uh, my dad would put that on. It's like part of Christmas to me, and nice. it'll be really amazing to have him on. Um, 
It's funny enough, we were, I was with a friend of mine. We dropped some stuff off at Tommy's house one time when he wasn't home. But his wife is an amazingly pleasant person. She's fucking awesome and super sweet. And uh, excited to have Tommy on. Uh, I don't know. Just, that's kind of a super cool thing for me. And uh, excited for that. And, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's just cool. been busy working. Just kind of juggling three projects right now. Everything's kind of going on all cylinders again. Kind of nice to be back with more work than time to to think so and then i'll be honest with you it's nice to be back in the gross all every day yeah. you know for a while i was doing a lot of design work and consulting work doing other stuff and not a lot of you know what i like to call plant therapy it's nice to, to spend all day with plants again yeah man it's certainly it's made just me a nice to be in the forest man oh yeah and then plus like at the one one of the two spots and we're kind of bouncing between the nursery and the main farm that we're finishing building out right now up here and um we have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres and like with two wolf dogs they can just run and chase nice. the deer and go have fun and be dogs so that's really really nice uh, and just that's awesome it's been, been kind of a chill week all around so uh, tomorrow we have a huge tornado outbreak and then i think monday or tuesday we have another big tornado outbreak so oh, enjoy yeah. the calm all we can all righty um if Fumi, are you back if not, uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to come back for the end of the show. <laughs> trying to trying to get your seed side up here. Um, uh, if you uh, uh, if he doesn't come back, uh, please go check out fumadoro.com. Uh, he has great seeds, including uh, Lime River Reserve. In fact, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about that, uh, Wes? Uh, yeah, Lime River Rose. I've uh, grow I've grown that. That's uh, absolutely beautiful plant. Uh, there's incredible lime phenos are just uh in there. there's everything ranging from lime candy to lime pop there uh and uh i found an amazingly interesting and unique uh rose pheno in there it came in with a uh just a lime on the front and then a potpourri on the back but then it lost all the lime and it just it smells a bouquet of flowers when you smell it. it's like i've never really smelled weed like this it's very perfumey and it is super stony and just relaxing when you do smoke it it's really good weed really awesome weed so if you if you're looking to try something new uh just want some beans to hoard uh check out humidor seed uh, seeds uh yeah chronictable.com a little easier to find it that way and uh yeah Check out the West Engine Swindle over there. <laughs> um, uh, how do people find you and all your cool stuff? Oh, me, I, I have one of those uh, Instagram things, West, w, uh, West Engine, W-S-I-N-G-I-N. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, about it. Uh, and uh, I hang out uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays on the Chronic Table uh, over at Fumor Show. So come over, stop by, hang out. I'm usually over there too. So I've been a little bit busy this week, but normally I'm over there at least most of the time. So always an, always fun hanging out over there as well. Yeah, and uh, you can find Fumi at uh, uh, Fumadoro or Fumador underscore Chibador or um, Portland Tasting Society. Port, Portland Cannabis Tasting Society? Portland Tasting I forget. I'm sorry. See, this is what happens <laughs> when he's not here. <laughs> Um, it's okay. It's fine. It's fun to give him shit though. Um, <laughs> um, what else? Um, you can find Danielle at, at Aquilatos Inc. Um, we'll have her info in the chat there. 
uh, in the description. Uh, and you can also find her a Reef Organic and uh, and uh, Aquila Toss up in Canada. Uh, they're kind of the same company uh, ish. Um, and then uh, one's well, different parts of the market. Long story. Uh, and then um, you can find us. Um, what else is there? Who else is on the show? Marty was on uh, AP Meds. You can find him at AP Meds on, on Instagram. And you can find me, Potent Ponics, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, all the things. Um, I'm working on some recorded outros and some recorded intros, so I don't know if I can say that and have it nice and professional or not. So I am working on it. So as soon as I get back home and a little more time in my normal studio, uh, we'll get that going. And uh, yeah, if there's any guests that you guys want, I do have quite a bit of a queue currently, but uh, if you guys have any guests that you want to see on the show, you know, feel free to let me know. And um uh, and we'll see you guys again next week, uh, hopefully Monday. If not, I'll see you guys on Thursday. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, everybody. We will catch you guys again next time.